as I reflect on the different events throughout history, I still am in awe and marvel at the fact that just over 100 years ago, right, the Titanic, right, the ship that should not have sunk, the ship that was supposed to be impenetrable and indestructible, traveling from Southampton to New York around April 15, 1912, struck an iceberg and eventually sunk, right? Estimated 1,500 lives were lost because of this tragic event out of the nearly 2,224 passengers and crew members. Just because this massive ship made contact with an iceberg, where the iceberg on the surface probably looked like nothing. Most icebergs do. They look small. And as the Titanic struck this iceberg, the damage came to the point where the ship could not withstand it and eventually sunk. And the iceberg probably didn't look like anything. Like most icebergs, by and large, a far majority of the iceberg is below and beneath the surface. Where estimates about, say, 10% of the iceberg is above the surface, 90% is below the surface. I think our lives are like icebergs. Where what we see and what we see in others is above the surface 10%, while there's far more going on beneath the surface. And much like our lives, as we intersect, our life stories intersect with each other, we may intersect at that level that's above the surface, that 10%. But if we're not careful, if we're not careful, if we don't address some of the behaviors and outcomes of that top 10%, driven by what's beneath the surface, we too can shipwreck relationships and I would even go as far as say shipwreck our lives. I know that to be the case because I've experienced it. I've experienced it in my life. Where much of my life I lived an unexamined life. Right, just living from one day to the next, one, day to the, one week to the next, one month to the next, right? And recognizing, sure, trying to make external behaviors better, but not really understanding what was going on deep inside of me that was causing those outward behaviors, right? Jesus himself says, out of the heart, the mouth speaks. What he's saying is that what's beneath the surface eventually is going to find its way out. And so I know in my life, living an unexamined life with unprocessed emotions and feelings, that I've caused some hurt and pain in relationships. Not on purpose in many cases, but just as an outcome of my life story intersecting with someone else's life story. It's happened in my marriage, it's happened in my family. It's happened with friends. It's even happened in my church leadership. And I've had to learn the hard way to say, God, I'm going to invite you to go beneath the surface to see what's really going on. So then in doing so, as I relate to God in that manner, he then brings out greater fruit above the surface. My guess is you've had some experiences with this as well, whether in your own life, but no doubt you've seen other people's lives, those who live unexamined lives, have blind spots, and then when their life story intersects with someone else's life story and there's pain and hurt, it could shipwreck that relationship. And I would dare to say, no doubt, in this past year with all that's been happening, the past year and a half to two years, a lot of that's been going on. So what are we to do? Is there any help? Well, the good news is, yes, there absolutely is help. And God doesn't leave us without help. He gives us his word. He gives us his truth. He gives us his grace. And as we continue in the sermon series called Deeper Today, right, learning how to relate to God, today's topic is exploring beneath the surface. 
Right? Many of the principles that I'm focusing on during this sermon series are connected to Pete Scazzaro's Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, this author and pastor that I've come to respect highly. And his works have deeply impacted my life, impacted my wife Lori's life and our marriage and so many relationships. And so today we're going to explore what it means to look beneath the surface, to explore beneath the surface. Because I believe that God provides a path to relate to him more deeply through our emotions as we engage them directly with his help. Let me say that again. I believe that God gives us a path to relate to him more deeply through our emotions, right, as we engage them directly with his help. And so to do this, we're going to begin by going back to someone that we considered last week, right? Last week we considered King David, right? It was King David at a very high point last week, right? David in terms of David and Goliath and how he resisted the pressures and the strong opinions of family members and authority, an authority figure in King Saul and evil and, and, and a bully in Goliath. And David was able to know God, right? And as he knew God, he knew himself better, that was last week's focus. We're going to focus on the same King David. He's not at, at such a high point this week. What I love about the Bible, what I love about the Psalms, what I love about David is we see that David lived a life much like we live. He wasn't always up here. He was all over the place. And today, captured in this Psalm, Psalm 22, are some raw emotions and feelings that David was going through. The same David who defeated Goliath. And so take courage. I know I'm encouraged. If he could have that high point and still write this psalm, there's hope for all of us. And there's hope for me. And so let, I want us to look at the first 13 verses of Psalm 22. And I want us to consider what did David feel? What was he feeling when he wrote this? And so like last week, I'm not going to have the, screen, the words up on the screen. I invite you to close your eyes to help focus on these words. Listen to this prayer. And as you listen to this prayer, I invite you to consider what David was feeling. Starting in verse one, Psalm 22, we read this. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? So far from my cries of anguish. My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no rest. Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises. In you our ancestors put their trust. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried out and were saved. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by everyone, despised by the people. All who seek me mock me. They hurl insults shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. Yet you brought me out of the womb. You made me trust in you, even at my mother's breast. From birth I was cast on you. From my mother's womb you have been my God. Do not be far from me, for trouble is near, and there is no one to help. Many bulls surround me, strong bulls of Bashan encircle me. Roaring lions 
that tear their prey, open their mouths wide against me. I want you to open your eyes. There's a lot of feelings in this psalm, isn't there? This is a passionate psalm. And it's incredible, right? The same David, right? The same David who killed Goliath. We don't know the circumstances of what was happening here, but we know this, that whatever reason, David feels lost. He feels alone. And he calls out to God with these questions, echoed on the cross by Jesus. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Notice how he twice calls out to God. My God, my God. Right, that repetition shows the strength of the cry. But he also, it's a personal cry. Notice how he says, my God. He could have said, God, God, or Lord, Lord, or some other general description of God. No, he says, my God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? Why haven't you heard my cries of anguish? Right, David's honest here. He's raw and honest with his feelings and emotions and what he's going through. He brings them to God. What was David feeling? I think it's all kinds of emotions. I think there's sadness here. Sadness. My God, why have you forsaken me? This, he lost. He's, he's lost this, this sense of connection to God. Again, the same David who killed Goliath, the same David who knew God, whatever was going on in his life right here, he all of a sudden did not feel that connection with God. My God, why have you forsaken me? I think there's a sense of sadness. I think there's a sense of anger as well. Being mad that something's not right. It's not right that this is happening. I also think David was feeling a sense of fear and anxiety because he didn't know what was going to happen. Right? Skipping down all the way to verse 11, we read, Do not be far from me, for trouble is near, David said, and there is no one to help. David's in a desperate place. Well, what's this? What's this issue? Well, the answer is given in verses 12 through 13 when he talks about these bulls of Bashan. What is that all about? Right? Sometimes when you read the Old Testament, you get these references like, what is that all about? Well, Bashan was, a set, a lo, it was located across the Jordan River and it was known for the whole area for their strong cattle. Like, you didn't mess with the bulls of Bashan. Right? These were big-time bulls. And so David describes his challenge as being surrounded by these bulls and by these lions who are opening their mouth to eat him alive. Now David typically described ferocious beasts like, as, in descriptions like this to describe his enemies. And so whatever it is, David is surrounded by his enemies and they're closing in. And here again, I think David is crawl, calling out to God and he's being honest with an emotion, this time the emotion of fear because he doesn't know how this is going to turn out. David is honest with his relationships. And we see here in Psalm 22 that David put into practice what I preached on a couple weeks ago, right? David, when he faced this, he, he didn't try and handle this alone, right? His first move wasn't to handle this alone. He didn't, his first move wasn't to go to other people, right? In our day and age, I would be going to the phone. We see here through this Psalm that David goes to the throne, he brings it to God, starting with that raw, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In many ways, David models what it means to bring our raw emotions and feelings to God and to take those seriously, not stuffing them down. And David could have been like, look, I'm a good king. I'm a good king. It's okay. I'm fine. I got a crown. I don't, nothing, life is good, right? Keep calm, keep kinging, whatever that is, it's fine, Right? He could have been fine. No, here, recorded in the Bible, 
forever is David's desperate cries, raw emotions. Wow, what an encouragement, I think, to me. My prayer is to be an encouragement to you as well that even David had some super, super dark days. There's trouble all around him. So what does this mean for us today? What does this mean for us today? I ask and I wonder, to what extent are we willing to do this? To what extent are we willing to take what's above the surface, that 10%, and let that show what's going on beneath the surface and to bring that to God? And by bringing that to God, to allow him to reshape then what is seen and experienced on the surface. Because David practiced this, or he practiced this in so many different ways. And, and I would say that the problem for most of us, and I know I've been there, is that typically when we experience maybe strong emotions or feelings and we're not sure how to handle them, either A, we completely indulge them and go over the top in terms of expressing them or stuff them down. Typically you're one of two on that side. You might be an expressor or a stuffer. I could be a little bit of both. And I think about here where um, David, no doubt, is an expressor. Others could be his stuffers. Uh, Pete Scazzaro, in another study he has called The Emotionally Healthy Relationships, has this quote, which is haunting to me. Unprocessed emotions don't die. Right? Unprocessed emotions don't die. Now, I'm going to speak here to the men for a moment. Right? Typically, as guys, I know I've been there. I'm like, look, I don't do emotions. I don't do feelings. Right? That's for the other side of it. I don't do it. But I'm telling you, here's a word from God, I believe, because it's been a word of God from, to me, and I believe it's to you and really to all of us. Anyone who tends to stuff or ignore emotions, that unprocessed emotions don't die. And if we want to be honest with God, honest with ourselves, and honest with others, and live in a way of freedom, especially the way that God has designed us to be, we have to engage and learn to engage. And if you've never engaged in this, it's okay. There's grace. We have to start somewhere because unprocessed emotions don't die. Because if you stuff them down to ignore them, they're going to find a way to leak out, aren't they? Some may leak slowly, right? They may leak out in little comments or moments of sarcasm or bitterness, right? Others may leak, they may leak in other ways. It may leak, honestly, into your bodies, right, in terms of blood pressure and, and physical challenges. Unprocessed emotions don't die. God's given us emotions. He calls us to engage them with his help. And we're going to see in a moment how that allows us actually to relate to God more deeply. Unprocessed emotions don't die. So I want to ask a question. What if our emotions actually provided a path to relate to God more deeply? What if that was the case? I never would have thought of this for many years, that emotions could be a starting point for relating to God. I thought just emotions, that's just what we have. But what if that's the case? What if that's the truth? Now, some of you may be sitting there thinking, wait a minute, Jeff. Oh, look, you're talking about feelings and emotions. We can't trust our feelings and emotions, right? I mean, we can't do that. Like, that's, I mean, remember Jeremiah 17, 9? Like, this is a verse that was, I've heard preached on and taught on all these years, right? 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? Right? This verse came to me for years, and it was like, I've heard preached and taught, look, don't trust your feelings. Don't, don't engage them. Your heart is deceitful and beyond cure. Stay away from your feelings. And so for me, I'm like, amen. I'm going to stuff them down. I'm not dealing with any feelings. I can't trust those feelings. But the 
trailing question is, no one's ever answered this. Who could understand it? There's an, you know who could understand it? God could understand it. Right, the takeaway for years for me, and you could tell, maybe I'm dealing with some anger here, right? There's some bitterness. I'm like, come on, like, who could understand it? God could understand it. And the same King David knew this in a different psalm, in Psalm 139, 23 and 24, well-known words, search me, O God, and know my heart. Right, test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any anxious way in me or offensive way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Here, the same David, in a different psalm, is inviting God, search me, God. Know my heart, know beneath the surface, at 90% beneath the surface, explore beneath the surface, God. Know my heart, and then lead me in the way everlasting. So we can do this with God's help. And I want to begin with one specific skill, looking at four core emotions to help you do this. And for some of you, this is going to be utterly painful and, and, and you've never even touched this. Others, you may be living in this zone. But I want to give this skill to look at four key emotions. To ask the question, how is God coming to me through how I'm feeling? Right, and through four key emotions, anger, sadness, fear, and gladness. Right, years ago, I was a, a chaplain serving as a chaplain for the summer, and the person in charge said there's four, these four core emotions. She said, when you're mad, and you're sad, and you're glad, and you're scared. And I'm like, she's like, don't overcomplicate it. I'd be like, man, I'm so frustrated. She's like, no, 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 no. Frustrated is a nice, sophisticated way of saying you're angry. Get to the core, name reality, right? She said, anger, sadness, fear, and gladness. And ask that question. So another way is simply to ask yourself, the next question, how am I, what am I angry about? What am I sad about? What am I fearful? And with that is the, the, the sibling anxiety, right? Anxious about. And what am I glad about? To ask that question, this is a great way, um, in the words of Pete Zero, to get to explore the iceberg, to explore beneath the surface. And then from that, once you ask that question, don't stop there. It's one thing to ask, what am I feeling, and even why am I feeling it? The question is, what does God want me to do with it? And if you ask that question, then it could direct you into what God has, right? And ask the question, what does God want me to do in light of what I'm feeling? What does God want me to do in light of what I'm feeling? I ask this question because emotions are, I believe, a God-given gift to prompt us towards action. Where do I get that? A wonderful book, an insightful, deep book called The Soul of Shame by Kurt Thompson. Um, let me read this quote here. He says, when we examine human behavior, we find that if we take emotion out of the equation, we stop moving. The derivation of the word emotion includes its Latin root, emotion, which means to precede movement. To precede movement. It's interesting. I love, I love words. I love, it. I love studying words, right? Emotion. I mean, I never thought of the word motion was an emotion emotion right as, even as our worship team was talking this week uh, jennifer gong was saying that motion is pre-motion love it right you ever think of it that way that god gives us emotions to propel us to action to move us forward he continues um, he says this he goes this suggests that whatever emotion is it energizes and gives rise to human movement from the time we are born emotion is a primary driving force of our existence if attention is the ignition key of the mind, then emotion is the fuel in the tank the engine runs on. Some deep stuff, right? As Kurt Thompson talks about it, emotions can propel us to action. 
So if we ask that question, what are we mad about? What are we sad about? What are we fearful about? What are we glad about? It could lead to action. And the key is what type of action? Life-giving, God-honoring action, right? It's where the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 4.26 says, in your anger, do not sin. He doesn't say don't be angry. Anger is actually an emotion that God's given to us. We're created in his image, right? God who's holy and perfect and God who does have righteous anger when he sees something that's wrong, it's a good thing that God has righteous anger because then he wants to fix what's wrong. And God gives us emotions for a purpose. And so for anger, if there's typically anger arises when something's wrong and you want to fix it and address it. Right? Typically, sadness comes when there's a loss or disappointment. Right? And you're not sure what to do with that. And fear or anxiety comes when you're facing a future that's unknown and it's overwhelming, especially when you consider taking it on by yourself. Right? And gladness comes when there's something to celebrate or to have gratitude or thank people for. There's actions that could come out of each of these emotions. Now, I'd be remiss if I didn't share a little bit of my story briefly about my engagement with anger. Right, so growing up, as you've heard some of my story in my opening months here, growing up with a little sister with a disability with cerebral palsy, there's all types of chaos in our house. And now I have lots of compassion for my parents, especially being a dad of four daughters, but thinking about my dad with my disabled sister and how much energy that took. My dad didn't have a lot in the tank, so I have compassion for him, but when I messed up, he let me know about it. And his anger, he blasted me with his anger. And so for years, I remember thinking, I don't want anything to do with anger. Like, if there's an angry person, I'm leaving the room. If I feel anger, I'm stuffing it down. But the problem is, as I was stuffing it down, right, I would walk around and people were like, so what do you think about this? I'm like, oh, it's okay, it's fine. Inside, I'm seething, <laughs> right? I'm like, ugh. But I'm like, oh, it's fine, it's gonna be okay. I was lying. Lying to other people, lying to myself, lying to God. And it started to impact me physically in all different kinds of ways. And so for me, I've had to invite God to go beneath the surface. And then to say the 10% above the surface, when I feel anger, okay, God, what do I do with that? How do I surrender that to you? And what do you want me to do with that? As opposed to stuffing it, ignoring it, and letting it just leak out in different ways to say, no, if there's something that's wrong, how can I engage that in a healthy, life-giving God-honoring way. I think God gives us the invitation to allow, to let our emotions be almost like a dashboard of alerts that something is going on and to not ignore it or stuff it or even overindulge it, but to bring it to God and say, what do you want me to do with it? So I invite us to start or restart that approach today. Maybe you've never heard anything like this in your life before. Welcome to the club. It, I just, I mean, this is newer, newer to me as well. But this could be life-changing. It's been life-changing for me to look at emotions, not as something to either overindulge or to ignore, but to bring to God and to find a different way forward. Let me give you one thing to remember, one thing to do, and some questions for reflection coming out of this sermon. First, hear this, that God provides a path to relate to him more deeply through our emotions, right, as we engage them directly with his help. If we actually let what's gonna come, these emotions, serve as a, a path to God, there's great things that could happen. That's one thing to remember. One thing to do, here's an action step for this week. I invite you and challenge you to try those exploratory questions not once, but twice this week. Twice. Right? Practice going, exploring beneath the surface two times by 
asking those exploratory questions. It could be in the morning when you first wake up. It could be at the end of the day. And take out a piece of paper and write, what am I angry about? What am I sad about? What am I fearful or anxious about? And what am I glad about? And just take a moment and write. It could be a word. It could be a phrase. It could be a sentence. It could be a book. Whatever comes out, write something down. It's power in writing it down. Don't just think it. Write it. See what happens this week. Try it twice. I'd love to hear from you. If you try it out, experiences, questions, I'd love to hear from you. This exercise can allow you to begin to explore beneath the surface. And as you do, questions for reflection to consider today, maybe later today, tonight, this week. Question one, what could change in your life if you started to view emotions as a way that God could get your attention? Right, what could change in your life? All of a sudden, you reframe these different emotions that most of us don't slow down to even consider this. What could change if you saw that as a way for God to get your attention? Second, how can then God propel you to action? Again, hear this, in a life-giving, God-honoring way, how can this propel you to action in light of your anger, sadness, fear, and gladness? And lastly, to what extent are you willing to explore beneath the iceberg in light of this sermon? For some, it may just be a first step, but to what extent are you actually willing to say, God, I'm willing to go there? Maybe for years, I'm not going there. Say, God, help me. It's like that man who came to Jesus and said, I believe, help me overcome my unbelief, saying, God, I want to take that first step and see what happens. Um, as we look towards next week, next week we're going to talk about what it means to enlarge our heart through grief and loss. All of us have experienced grief. All of us have experienced losses. Next week, we're going to talk about what that means when we experience those griefs and losses. Instead of letting them crush our hearts, how can God use those to actually expand our hearts for others and also for God himself? Um, with that said, let's pray. Let's pray. Father in heaven, you have made us. You know us. You know us by name. God, you've given us um, the ability to feel we're creating your image and we have emotions. So God, I pray for every person who's heard this sermon, whether in person, online, today, or sometime in the future, God, that you would open up their hearts to this possibility, that you would give them a vision for seeing emotions as a way and a pathway to connect more deeply with you. To ask not only what those emotions are, not only why those emotions are there, but what, God, you may be propelling them to do in light of those emotions. God, you know how to do that perfectly. And so I pray, God, I ask boldly for freedom for all of us, God. I know my story, Lord, where anger did not play out well. But God, you're redeeming that. I pray that for every person who's heard this sermon, Lord, that they would experience freedom in an area of their life, Lord, where perhaps they've been held captive and they, did, they didn't even know it. We give ourselves to you, God. You are the great surgeon to spiritual surgery on our souls and our hearts. And God, may we grow closer to you and be more open to others because of it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.